podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Yes, lads, UFC fighter Jack Shaw here. You can catch me on the latest episode of Ace Podcast Nation. Uh, unscripted and uncensored, so we went through a lot of questions, a couple of funny ones. Uh, make sure to give him a subscribe on YouTube. It's uh, youtube.com forward slash Ace Podcast Nation. And uh, looking forward to get back on there soon to uh, get through the questions we didn't get through. Speak to you all soon. I'm Sai, and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. On the channel, we've got interviews, podcasts, series, content on a variety of subjects, including mental health, football, serial killers, films, TV, conspiracy theories, writing, music, and much, much more. All our shows are available in video format at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation, or the audio versions are available at all the uh, podcasting app platforms. So today's show is something a little bit different instead of uh, the usual format. This is uh, episode number six in our unscripted and uncensored series, where I don't really have a run-through, no script. It's completely unedited, uncensored. We just have uh, some talking points, subjects, questions sent in by people who watch, listen, fans of the guests, Twitter, Facebook pages. They just send them in, a few emails. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. They can go off the rails quite quick. But uh, this is always a good time. Uh, so before I just introduce my guest, I'm just going to do a quick plug for the sponsors of today's show. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Away Day Apparel. Away Day Apparel is a group of casually obsessed football fans looking to bring something different to the wardrobes of like-minded people. With football, music and weekend carnage high on the agenda, they aim to bring you some exclusive products. They are edgy, controversial, but most importantly, current. From t-shirts, polos, shorts to hoodies, jackets and accessories, stick with them and they aim to bring you terrace wear that will turn heads and provide the cutting edge look that we all crave. So, joining me today is none other than uh, UFC bantamweight, uh, Mr. Brett the Pikey Johns. Welcome, my friend. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Sai? I'm all right, mate. I'm just still, uh, again, warming up after watching my boy play football earlier, pretend. It was cold, yeah. real cold. Was he playing tonight? Yeah, yeah, he played uh, early on. So he, like, he plays um, for like academy type thing. So he uh, plays like Friday, Saturday. They between my younger and my older one, they train and play nearly every day. Like, so don't have time to do anything else except watch kids football. I was just saying, it was cold tonight. Oh, it's freezing, and I couldn't believe it. Like, like this week, it hasn't been too bad. Like, it's been. Chilly, like, but today was. Whew. I took took a, I took a, I took a private session uh, earlier with a couple of guys. I I, I teach three thirty. I started teaching them, and then I went outside at five thirty, and it was brighter than ever. Three thirty and five thirty, bang, pitch black. You know. That yeah, it's, that's in it, mate. It's just dark, isn't it? Yeah. Pick a kid, pick a kids up from school. Like, and it's by the time I get home, it's bloody getting dark. Yeah, I know, man. I know. Just uh, right, so. With um, with these unscripted and uncensored shows, format's pretty simple. Instead of me planning out the show and asking the questions, the uh, the questions and the talking points are given by the the people. So uh, you know they can be on anything and everything. Um, we've had previous guests and conversations. We've had uh, Welsh boxer Gavin Gwynn. 
former British MMA fighters Lee Remedios and Danny Batten, Roger Giggs, and uh, the owner of Away Day Apparel himself, Alan Jones. And uh, yeah, so today's uh, Friday the 29th of November. I dropped my uh, mini my interview with Shed Sevens League singer uh, Rit Witter as well today, so check that out. So uh, no script, no censors, no edits. That's the format. I've got lots to discuss. Let's... Uh, this is the bit where I'm a bit like, okay, because I'm quite like a, a quite like a reserved person anyway, so I don't really. This stuff has happened in the past, but it, you know, at the end of the day, if the question comes up, I'm going to answer it here as day. Yeah, that's it. No, it's uh, that's and that's the one thing as well is for me is like when I have people doing these shows is I can't get blamed for the questions. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see now. Anyway. Well, we'll see. I see how it goes. They, I think they've been relatively kind to you. I had a quick flick flu when I was pasting them all in to the one document, like, and they're not too bad. Not too bad. Relative, you said relatively. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say they they're not all good, but they're not all bad. I think is that that's about the the gist of it. But like, um, so before we get into the people's questions, I like to get my guests just to tell us a little bit about themselves. Well, you know, where they grew up, how they got to where they are today. So, um. Yeah, tell us a bit about you, Brad. Basically, I was brought up uh, in, a, in a small council estate uh, in Swansea, you know, on the outskirts of Swansea towards the Merthy area. And um, we're still part of SA4. We're still part of Swansea because everybody sometimes will say, like, are, you a, are you a Turk then? And, <laughs> I go, and I go, no, 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm Swansea. So, you know, when, I, when you first turned the, the camera on, I saw that, um, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's not one of my favourite flags for a bit. <laughs> no, but yeah, I grew up in a council estate in Pond Lice with my, my mother was a single parent and um, when we were like three or four, my, my older sister was doing judo and um, me and my younger brother were causing riots in the house so my mother thought she'd take it to judo as well. And ever since then, that was like the start of my martial arts career, you know, four years old in the judo club with my stepfather eventually. In all fairness, he's still a part of my my uh, my training today. And who's tomorrow? I've got a little um, grappling fight on tomorrow night in Pontendale Leisure Centre, and um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be it's going to be a hell of a show. And um, my dad, in all fairness, my my main course is away with one of his other students, so I asked my dad to be in the corner. It's been a, a long time since he's been in the corner, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's only a little grappling fight, but. Um, to him it's a big deal and to me it's a big deal to have him there so I'm looking forward to that but yeah I started judo all the way from um, four years old to 16 then had a taste of MMA and I guess the rest is history you know it's been I've been doing this sport for about 11 years now and um, still I feel like I'm, I'm nowhere near where I want to be and um, we've been very lucky we've had some good fights in the past and um, it's catapulted us to the UFC being the first Welsh guy to fight in the UFC was a a massive feather in my cap. What what is what I wanted really was to be the first guy to fight there, you know. And um, yeah, I'm 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 absolutely buzzing, and um, everything's going great. You know, the the whole year thing is going really well. And um, although 2018 was my best year, coming off two losses, but like I said earlier, you know, then two losses are coming by guys who are ranked at the minute second and fifth in the world. So you know, I'm um. You know, obviously, I'd love to have them rematches with them guys, but for the minute, I'll just uh, bite my tongue and get on with it. Yeah, I think. So, how many, how many uh, siblings you got? I got two brothers and uh, one sister. So, I got an older sister, 
and then two younger brothers. My um, my younger my younger brother, uh, the the one underneath me is a year and a half younger than me, and then I got a younger brother again who's about five six years younger than me. So um, he's one of the funniest people to ever meet. Like he's uh, he's hysterical man. So they um they all do like judo and MM like martial arts of some sort as well. Yeah, so, like not my my brother started doing a bit of jiu-jitsu, um, but we all did judo as kids. My um, my sister, I think she got like um she was like a British British bronze medalist at a, at a junior level. The thing was with me and judo is what I wasn't um I wasn't a top judo player. You know I wasn't like the best of the best. You know I never actually won a Welsh championship. Best result I had, in my opinion, was having um, fifth in the UK for under twenties, and that, that was hell of a you know for me at the time. I I thought well, that's hell of a result for me, but um, that's why I wanted to cross over in MMA. I felt like my career was in judo was kind of plateauing. It wasn't like I wasn't improving, I wasn't getting better, and I wanted to try something different out. And that's when I I started watching MMA, and you know. When I when I was watching anime, there was no Welsh guys to look up to. It was just me in the library of my school, and that was it. Like, yeah, I mean, like now you got there's a few Welsh guys in there coming through, whether it's in you know the UFC or Cage Warriors or whatnot. But obviously, before you, there wasn't. Uh, you know, there was there was no Welsh guys like you mentioned in the UFC, and um, there wasn't a great deal. I don't think you know elsewhere either, really. Um, was, there was guys like you know, like like you said, that cage warriors level, but <coughs> there was there was there was none really above that. Then you know, at the end of the day, I was the first Welsh fighter to even win a world title. You know, to win a world title in our game, not many Welsh people have done that. To the top of my head, I can think of four, maybe five of us have, have ever won a Welsh title in mixed martial arts in Wales. That would be um, Jack Shaw, John Phillips, Jack Marshman, and me, and I, I won. Belts for one or two different promotions. To be honest, that's like that's one of my things that I've <clears throat> kept to this day with being a two-time world champion. Was um, you know, if my career finished right now, <clears throat> I would generally be so happy. I would be happy with everything I've done. So everything else from now on is really a bonus, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So um, your nicknames, the, the Pikey, where's that come from? And have you had any other like nicknames in your fighting career? To be honest, in, in martial arts you, you don't give yourself your own nickname yeah a morsel that everybody has so like <clears throat> i call my cousin dangerous brian evans who's like a fighter with me and he absolutely hates the nickname um the put the pikey was, was is something i'm actually going through a bit of trouble with at the minute to be honest with a um, welsh fa but um you know besides that it's a uh, the nickname i had from like when i was younger 18 years old going to town is the gypsy boots like you know, going back a few years ago, I was nowhere near as fashionable as I am now. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. and uh, I used to wear these gypsy boots all the time, and people would spot me and say, oh, he looks like a he looks like a traveller, he looks like a pikey. And I think ever since then, people started noticing it, and people started calling me the pikey. So um, it wasn't a nickname I give I give myself. It was more my mates going on. You know, that's what they started calling me. And even to the point where like people would scream out, people would scream out, oh, hey pikey, in the middle of the street, and then the police. There's police around, they look in as if to say, you can't say that, so you're in public. Yeah. The Americans love it, though. You know, Daniel Comey thinks it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant nickname. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like I said, I'm on a bit of trouble with the Welsh FA over that. But other than that, yeah, it's going great. So, how old were you when you turned pro then? 
<clears throat> let me think about this now. Um, right, I had my first fight. Yeah, I was 17 when I had my first fight. And, like, nowadays, you know, you get amateurs who have got 30 fights in their record, which is where it should be. When I was doing it, it wasn't so much amateur. It was known as semi-pro. Those were kind of all mixed up when I, when I was doing MMA originally. And um, I think, thinking about it, I was, I was 18. But like I was eight, you know, I got through my first five amateur fights from November 2011 to April 2012. I was, that was my amateur career. You know, my amateur career should be years long, and I and I did mine in six months, and then <clears throat> I went professional. And um, I, you know, by bearing in mind, I started MMA in November 20, 2011. That was I was just amateur. By September 2013, I won my first world title. That's 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 uh, that's no hanging about, is it? That's like no, straight in. Not that we not that we had that plan to be honest. You know, my my only goal when I was doing MMA was to win a belt, and I won a belt within six months of doing the sport. So I was like, right, what's next? And we go pro, and then won a few fights of pro, and I went, what's next? And I was like, well, win the British title, I won that, and then what's next? So I went with a big promotion, right? Then that, what's next? And it it's kind of been step by step. But at the minute, um, obviously the UFC belt would be the main goal, but. Having said that on the other page, my next goal would technically be getting to the top 10 in the world. You know, I went up to 13, but, you know, the top 10 mark being on the planet, being the top 10 best fighters is a is an achievement in itself. And that's what I'm trying to aim at, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose you've got to, you know, people. I think sometimes people looking from the outside, they think it's... Um, it's a bit easier than what it is to like to break into that top ten and to challenge for titles. You know, it takes a lot of uh, a lot of time and work and effort for you know for fighters like yourself just to break into that top ten. Let alone you know get up into the you know top five, top three, and start challenging for titles. Um, and the thing is, the standard generally of of MMA now from like ten years ago. It's unbelievably different, isn't it? Because, like, even you could have people who could be ranked, you know, 20, 25th or whatever, and they could be really, really strong fighters. And people just look at the rankings sometimes, I think, particularly people who perhaps who are kind of casual fans who maybe just switch, tune in for, like, the big cards or whatever. They assume because someone's ranked, like, 20 or 25th, that it's just an easy fight or whatever. And I... It's, it's just not, is it? It's just not the case. Like, the standard is so high. Modern day MMA fight at the minute, and everybody just seems to be getting better and better. Like, I got youngsters in the gym, and they scare the shit out of me because they're getting just better and better. I got a, I got a kid in, in my gym called, um, well, in Chris's gym called Corey, Corey, uh, Corey Lewis, and he's um, fantastic, man. Like, you know, I, I, I look at something like that, and I think when he hits his his early 20s, he's going to be a nightmare for anybody, and, and already in my opinion, he's best in the UK his size and weight like, yeah, I, I, always said, I always said to him I said, look, I'm going to book these in the, next few, in the next few months and I'm going to put your name down for reaching the UFC because I genuinely will, but this is the youngsters coming through the game and coming through the ranks, and honestly, you know, they give me some cracking spars in the gym you know, it's good being that UFC fighter, because people go oh look, he's in the UFC, I'm going to try and beat him so I know where I'm at, and I love that though. I love being pushed out in the gym, and especially from youngsters who are, who are hungry and who want to get there. So it's um, for this way, it's like a it's like a shark fishing there, you know. 
I'm a, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little goldfish. Everybody else is the shark. So I take yeah. yeah, well, that's it, isn't it. And the thing is, as well, the other side of that is like they see you in the you know in the biggest MMA promotion in the world, and they think, well, if he can do it, you know, maybe I can do it, and it gives them something to to, to kind of aim for, and to because obviously you know Wales is a small country, and at the end of the day, like I think people sometimes forget that, particularly football fans, they forget how small Wales is. And it's 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 not a big you know it's not a big country which means that I think sometimes it's yeah absolutely yeah. it's it's harder for for I I think I've always thought this but not just like with MMA with all sports I think it's harder for like young kids to get spotted and go on to go to the very top of like a sport than it is if they lived in London or if they lived in Manchester. You know, it's nothing against those places. I just think that it's harder be- just because of the sheer size of the country. And also, if you, you know, you go to London, I'm sure there's MMA gyms everywhere, same as in, you know, in Manchester and all over England, whereas they are popping up in, you know, in Wales more and more. But compared, there's, you know, it's, you're, you're fairly limited. Yeah, 100%. Like you said, in Wales, is a, it's a very... You know, on the grand scheme of things, it's a very quiet country, you know. Like, even when it comes to, like, um, sport funding for different things, I know oh, yeah. good, high-level guys in, Brit- in British teams. Like, you know, we got good Welsh competitors in British funding institutes and there. Obviously, I understand there's, there's reasons behind it, but um, I do feel like as a nation, we're not looked at as a top thing in any sport. Top in any sport, but... So that's what I'm trying to keep my, myself to myself. I, you know, I, I haven't needed any funding so far. I just kind of got on with it. On my own path, I've taken my own fights. And some fights I regret, even the ones I've won, I regret some of them. And then some of the fights that I don't regret and I've lost, you know, it is what it is, you know. But I, I'm happy that I've kind of chose my own path, not let someone else choose it, you know, through like, you know, things like funding or, you know, I've got a good manager behind me. He, Tells me what he thinks of certain fights, and um, you know this January twenty fifth fight is a is a big deal. And I think it's a good fight, so it's going to be a good one. This guy can't wait for it. I was saying to you earlier, and I suppose if you've got someone funding you as well, is they've got like a say in what you do, haven't they? Whereas if you know if you've got your own, you know you've got your team around you, you've got people you trust, and no one's funding you, you can, um, you know, you're in control of your own career then, and you. And uh, I, 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 I want to look back in years to come. I want to be that drunk 50 year old guy in the pub and be happy with what I've done and not ask, not saying, oh, what if I did this? What if I did that? Well, at least now, kind of made my own choices. And every fight that I've had, I've, I've kind of, you know, I've agreed to, I've done it. Like, I remember the, the Pedro Munoz fight, which was back in August 2018. Believe it or not, Pedro Munoz was the only guy I said no to. But not because of an opponent date. It was, you know, straight after Christmas. I was super heavy. And I said, look, I'm not going to fight him in February, but I'll happily fight him. Give me enough date, you know? And then, yeah. then it changed over. That I fought Algernon Sterling first and lost him to Algernon. And then they offered me Pedro for the second time. And I bit that end up the second time because of, it was a fight that I wanted. Like, they, you know, Pedro was a weird fight in that division. I just put my balls on the table and said, you know what, yeah, I'll go for this, I'll fight him, I'm not hurt by any man. I think when fear gets involved, that's when, you know, you kind of already lost. Like, there's no man that can say, yes, he really is 
you know. I'm not saying I'll beat everyone, but I'll fight everyone, you know. Yeah, and I think, like, at the end of the day, like, with um, with any fight in MMA, you know, boxing, and wherever it is, like, you're going to get hit and you, you get hit every day when you're training and you're going to get smashed in the mouth and you're going to get tapped out and whatever is part and parcel of, like, the fight fighting and that. But um, I think you can often see when, like, boxers, especially when they were, like, unbeaten, so, like, for instance, you've got uh, Anthony Joshua is obviously going to fight Ruiz again now coming up after dominating everyone for so long. It'll be really interesting to see how he responds to it because, like, the fighting game is about, you know, it's like it's it's mental as much as it is physical because you've got to be able to to control, you know, your nerves and your fear and you've got to be able to come back from losses so obviously like you mentioned you had 2018 was a really difficult year for you and you got a um you know you're looking to to push on now and and put that behind you and are you um so like what would you say at the moment like your main thoughts are about that fight coming up now is it like eager to get into it is it nerves is it just can't wait for it to come around I think it's a bit of all, all of that you just said really mixed into one. Um, I'm apprehensive because I feel like that, you know, I fucked this up, you know, I'm out the door really, you know. Mm. not stupid, I'm not naive, I know, I understand that this is, uh, I'm on the chopping block, you know. You know, yes, okay, Grant Bill lost to the best guys in the division and it'd be quite harsh of the cut me after this. But I'm realistic. You know, I've got plan A, I've got plan B, I've got plan C in my head, what I'll do in situations. But um, I'm excited, though. Yeah, I'd say I'm very excited. When they, this was the difference compared to other fights. When I get given a name, my instant thought is, oh, shit. Oh, that's the first instant thought I get. And I go, think about it, and I look up different people, and I watch them and study them, and then I tend to feel better. With Tony Govelli, it was a bit more difficult because... When they offered Tony Govelli, instead of doing, I did the amateur mistake of looking at his record first, then watching him, and then watching him fight. So I looked at his record and I saw 19 and 5, which is a good MMA record. <clears throat> and I looked at his last like seven fights. He's won his last seven fights, six of them by knockout and one sub. So instantly it's like, oh shit, this is going to be a tough shit. And then I watched Tony fight, and you know, as, a, as a stylistic matchup, it kind of suits me, you know. You know, I'm not saying that he's not a good fighter. He's a phenomenal fighter. He really is. But I look at him as a stylistic matchup with me, and I think it's good, really good. And I think that's why the, that bit of it excites me more than anything. And um, yeah, I'm just absolutely buzzing to go. Yeah, I think, particularly when you've had a break, it must be uh, you must be like really eager just to get back in that back in that cage and get back to business was it difficult to like get your head around the two losses like you know after that second one what sort of what was your mindset like after that i love i love talking about this because a lot of people get a bit like uh, confused about like, the way i think and stuff but i like talking about it so the second loss didn't bother me whatsoever first one oh my god that affected me 
horrendously. So the reason why, in my head, I felt like in the Algerman fight, this is a guy who's second the world. He beat me fair and square. All three rounds to nil. I didn't win any round. <clears throat> there was good things in the fight, but there was a lot more bad things in the fight. But <clears throat> the biggest thing I took away from it was that I didn't turn up that night mentally. Now, physically, I was in good shape. I had a good weight cut. Everything went really well. But mentally, I felt like I was nowhere near I wanted to draw that fight. There's reasons behind it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into it. There's reasons behind it, and um, I felt like that was my my worst fight ever. And I and I, what what kills me is I would have loved to have fought someone else and not and had that day with someone else rather than fight Adrian Stern happy with him. But like I said, you know, after the fight, it wasn't really much of a mark on me. The bruise bruise in my nose, and I was kind of just itching my head. I didn't know what last 15 minutes was really. And then I went for the next three months in camp of just absolutely just pulling my hair out. I didn't know what I was doing. It had nothing to do with the fact that I've lost. I was kind of prepared I was going to lose. But it was more not performing. Like, yeah. Look, look, I can get my ass handed to me. I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay that if I go into a fight and I'm doing really well and I get knocked clean and conscious, look, I can live with that. I really can. I'm not scared of them days. People... People like fighters are, 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 are petrified of getting knocked out. Like the chances are for me, it's around the corner, and I just got to kind of deal with it, you know. Or even getting choked out, it doesn't matter. But <clears throat> when I fought, when I signed to fight Pedro, then the Pedro fight wasn't just to get back in the ring column. For for me, more importantly, it was to get over the Aljamain Sterling fight, which was a few months earlier. And um, Obviously, when I went in there, you know, they said that round two was round of the year. You know, well, that's the good. First, the first, first round. I thought I'd lost the first round, but it turns out I'd won the first round. That's against a guy who's ranked fifth in the world. Do I feel like I was 100% mentally there? Not really, but I felt like I performed. You know, I, there was bits I was unhappy with. Like, you know, I got caught with a leg kick to, to, to a point where I had to change stance, and then I got caught with a body kick, but, you know, People know me, man. I, I, won't, I won't quit in them situations. You're going to have to put me asleep. Like, you know, I'm not quitting. I'll go through 15 minutes of hell. You know, I'm okay with that. I'm prepared for that. <clears throat> but the Pedro fight was just, my opinion, was an old man. It was beautiful. It was the way I wanted it. I, I didn't want to lose, but if I was going to lose, it was going to be that way. And it went the way I wanted to go. I was going to lose. And, um, I got a friend for life with him now. I message Pedro all the time and we chat a lot and it's, it's quite cool. But um, I, the the biggest thing I took away from that fight was I think I got over the Algerman fight. And, yeah. And that, and that was the and that was the biggest thing for me. And uh, like I said, getting over that was brilliant. And then I was hoping to get straight back in there after Pedro. But realistically, subconsciously, I didn't mean to do this. But I took time off. I wanted to get back in November. Then they said, oh, look, you won't be fighting until like March time. I said, right. Then I did Polaris, which is like a grafting tour, and bust my right knee. I ended up like tearing my IMCL. So I was out for a few weeks. Christmas getting back. And then I did, I was started training in January, and I started getting my weight down quickly. I was looking really good. And the end of January, I was with my um, my cousin, and we were just doing a bit of jiu-jitsu, and my, my left knee went bang. So my right <laughs> one was done, and then two months later, my left one went bang, and that was a I was an even worse pain, the LCL. Then, obviously, taking a few months off, then I was meant to fight in 
uh, March last year against Eddie Wine, but that fell through. And then I ended up going to um, Vegas for three weeks to kind of rehab my knees, like do a rehab sort of trip. <clears throat> and, it, and it was the best three weeks of my life. I didn't realise, though, how mentally bad I was until I went out there. My brother said to me, he said, look, right, you need to go to Vegas. He said, you need to get, you need to get fixed. Here, do something because your career's spiraling out of control. And I didn't feel like it was, but then when I went out there, I realized, yeah, you know, I was, I was, it was, it was like that, that bad yeah. was, you know. Just needed like a like a break just to get yourself together and. Yeah, stay. like like the last like well the last like twenty weeks of my of my of my life has been brilliant. You know, I have I haven't really missed out on anything big. You know, if I if I wanted to go out with my friends on the weekend, I can. I did. I went out and I was I'll have a few drinks with them. But you know, my last drink was uh, at the Jerry Cinema gig on the 9th of November. And now I won't touch a drop. No, because it's the fight's done. I just think about you know my plan of attack. People don't know what I'm going to be doing in this fight, but uh, that's actually one of the things I wanted to say. Obviously, on, on, on the show was you're going to the Miami, Florida on the 15th of November. You should be meeting up with a Welsh legend, Flex Lewis, out there. I'm quite friendly with Flex. Um, I'm going to meet up with him. Spend a week in Miami, Florida. Then we're going to fly them from there to North Carolina for their fight week. Fingers crossed, we win. Uh, the next day, we fly back to Miami and we have a few drinks on the uh, on the beachfront in Miami, Florida. But I'm I'm hoping it's going to be like a scene from GTA Vice City and we're going to talk mm-hmm. to Eddie with a pina colada. Yeah, celebrating, celebrating. That's it. Now, so it's I something I picked up on what you said about your knee about you did one and then the other one went and um it's surprising how common that is that when someone does like their you know their acl or or similar in one knee the other knee goes like quite soon afterwards or in the recovery yeah i'm assuming that must be because of like the extra kind of weight bearing and the extra pressure you put through the other leg in the recovery i assume my like but it's it's really common because like I've spoken to a couple of people who've said you know the same thing. Yeah, it's like, weird, like. Like even like you know like I'm not saying that they're hundred percent. They're not hundred percent. Like I don't know if they'll ever be one hundred percent. You know I got a jack white shoulder here, both my like and they get ligament damage in both. Right, no. But I never was the I never was the uh, injury type of person. I, only since I started like MMA and I went professional, that's when I started raising injuries. And it's simply because I train like an absolute muppet. You know, I do. I go to the gym and I'm. I, my coach will say, right, take it lightly today, and then look over his shoulder. And I'm doing five fives wall wrestling with them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I told you to take it easy, but I've always trained like that. You know, I'm the guy that you gotta literally drag out of the gym. You know, I. I take my job very serious. You see a lot of fighters who fight and then they take six weeks off and then they sign another fight, they go back and the gym. Like, for me, it's my full-time job, so I'm full-time. So yeah. I quit work back in March 2013 to become a full-time fighter, then I'm not going to be taking it easy and taking days off staying in the house when I could be in and training, you know? Yeah, I think it's, it takes, it's going to take its toll on your body, isn't it? Particularly as you get, like, a bit older now as well. Like, I guess like as fighters get older and in you know into their like into their mid 30s or whatever they've got to kind of t- 
take it a bit easier, you know, on a daily basis, just to let their body recover and that. But obviously, you know, you're not there yet. You're uh, you're still a young whippersnapper. Yeah, yeah. I bet. Well, mate, I've not been funny. You get punched in the face for a living, so. (laughs) I was going to say, see, because like this is the thing. A lot of guys in the top ten UFC in my weight, they're all like thirty. 30 plus, like, you know, I'm so, mm. you know, if you look at the grand scheme of things, I'm 27, so 28 in February, looking kind of like younger in that in that weight division, and trust me, the camps are hard now, like, and this is the thing I want me up with PG Dillashaw, like, who's the former UFC Batman champion, got busted for EPO, and started complaining how hard his camps were, and now he's getting injured, and they, man, that's a fucking fight camp, man, just get on with it, like, you know, yeah. that's no excuse to go and take supplements you're not supposed to take you know i'm a, i'm i'm a worse boy we don't have science we don't have science labs here where we can test them and put all the the, the stupid toxins in you to make you better fighter you know i've done this naturally i've never ever done anything that for my whole entire life you know only recently i've started taking protein powder because i needed to trust them first mm. there's a lot of um a lot of it, like, there's a lot of issues that issues with that certain fighters in my opinion but you know, to me like why why they let everybody do it or you know, if you're going to be them guys who are going to be system then what's the use of it man you should have it yeah it's um so all right let's get out let skip forward a bit because one of the questions which someone asked is um as a fighter how frustrating is it when you see fighters in your even if they're not in your weight class but like you see them getting popped for banned substances whether it's you know intentional or it's just like a something to do with a supplement like how frustrating is that for someone who's never you know never had any issues like that to me uh, I'll, I'll i'll vouch for the 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 defendants as i say the people who get busted and stuff right so we work for a company that works for a company. We are tested by a company called USADA, you know, mm-hmm. the US anti doping you, right? And back in the UK, we got like, um, like UK something, they got tested. And it's, it's very frustrating when it comes to testers in house every morning. Like, I've like, basically, if, you, if you're not where you say you're going to be, like, for example, two weeks ago, I said that I was, um, I was promoting a fight in my school. So they asked me to come back to my secondary school fight, which is the up and coming fight. So I'm at my school doing the motion stuff, and then they put, I got two voicemails on my on my phone. They're going, "Now oh, we're at your house, blah blah blah." But that'll go out, that'll go down now as a whereabouts failure. I was trying to promote the fight, and like, oh, right. so there's there's bits like that, which is like you, you have got you saw the knock at your door six a.m. in the morning, but where are you? You know, it can get frustrating. Having said that, though. They 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 doing a fantastic job of trying to find these people. Do I think some of them are cheating the system? Yeah, I really do. I still think it goes on. For example, if a champion or our weight was cheating it, then I think a lot of guys in the gym will be doing that. You know, what hope have we got for the champions to be them sort of stuff, that sort of stuff? You know, but at the end of the day, times times get tough. You gotta get on with it, man. It's not it's not one of them easy fights you're gonna be having. You know, and it it does frustrate me. There's a couple of guys in that back with the division tested and done something in the past. You know, TJ Dillashaw is a recent one. Sean O'Malley is one. Uh, I don't understand what Sean O'Malley's taken, to be honest. Sean O'Malley's one. Uh, even Pedro Munoz, a guy that I thought has been, has been picking the past. And I feel sorry for people like Garbrandt, really, who have 
only lost three times in his career, and he's lost to guys who have previously been stung off of heads. And I bet that's really difficult. You know, with me, I, I didn't really care. He, he had a piss fear for me, so I don't care. You know, he was the best guy. And even if he wasn't, I, I would still fight him anyway. You know, it's not it's not that thing where I think this. I don't think it's an advantage. I really don't. They can say whatever they want to say, but so mentally, this is where it all matters. When you get to that top level and get into the top five, top ten, this is what matters. Not yeah. All the you know. Oh, that's interesting. Like, because obviously, you know, it's like like a big topic in a, around the world in all sports is like PEDs and. And, uh, you know, people, there's always someone in some sport who thinks they can get around there with, you know, science labs or their teams or whatever. Not just MMA, all sports, athletics and boxing. There's always someone who thinks they can cheat the system. But you don't think that it makes that much difference when it comes to the highest level, like in fighting. Yeah, I understand the, the, the thing about uh, about taking heads. I understand that it makes you, it helps you recover, makes you training harder. But man, I, I fought, I fought some good guys in the past who I think were on it. But I think if you look too much into it, it, it becomes a factor. Like if I, yeah, I'm telling myself all the time, well, look, this guy's been dumped for steroids. He means he's been training hard and all that. But I train as hard as I can. I push the body to the brink. So I think if, even if I was on pads, I could, I couldn't even hard on what I am now. You know? But you know, let let the, let the cheats be the cheats because what I love. And this is honestly, and I, and like a lot of people think I'm being harsh saying this. What I love though is when people who take peds get caught, and it ruins their careers. So I love that bit. Now people will be bitter about that. I don't care. At the end of the day, take the risk if you want to. Get away with it. Brilliant. Thumbs up. You crack on. But if you don't, that's the consequence. It's yeah. the same as being a drug dealer in normal life. Absolutely. If you want to risk it? Risk it. But if you get caught, then it's your problem. Yeah. You know? You screwed, didn't you? That's, that's my thought on it, anyway. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So, um, all right, let's get into some of these questions then. Yeah. So, uh, Gaz Cubbins wants he sent in a couple of questions. He says, um, "How can we make weight cutting safer? As it does feel like we're waiting for something tragic to happen. And obviously, in other sports, there has been uh, some tragedies around the world. I think in the last twelve months. Yeah, it's um, to be honest." I re I've I've thought about this a lot. Like I've I'm I'm previously a fighter that's failed weight twice. You know I know what it's like to fail weight, uh, and especially the second time when I had to go to hospital. So I literally got to turn over to my. I literally thought I was going to die. You know, and it was that mm. scary. There's certain ways, there's certain promotions to get around it now. But man, I I've been this every single time I cut this It's um, it's horrific. There's no other way for it, and. Um, it's not an easy. It's not as easy as that to think. I think yeah, they're right. The people have to. There's gonna to have to be a big. You know, people have died in the past of doing it, and it's not even died on a weight cut. It's done the weight cut. Might have made weight, might not have fought, and punched in the head, and then died. You know. Yeah. All the different factors of it, but it's all about the rehydration levels. It's all about being hydrated. Your brain's brain's hydrated. Everything's hydrated. But you know, at the point of when I make weights, I can completely tell you now that I am hydrated you know one knock on my head that would cause me uh trouble you know some people push the absolute brink and they do and uh, it's very scary but the, the, that day is going to come it's inevitable for anyone but it is and it's hard it's hard to sit here 
box. You know, I've been training all week, cutting my whole life. I think people are so quick to judge us on this is weight, but they don't look at the bigger picture. Like guys, I look at, and especially if they compare with the same weight, these are guys who have never cut weight before in their life, and uh, you know it's tough, man. Every fight I say, yeah, look, I've always been impressed. I've always made weight. Granted, well done, amazing. Oh, but there's circumstances like people like Dan tell have missed weight, and I guarantee you, when you watch that weight cut back, you're telling me you could have done more. That was it. That was all he was gonna do. But uh, I'm not fitted towards anybody. People miss weight, and you can say it's unprofessionalism or whatever you want to say. But uh, weight cutting, I've never had a fight. I've never had a fight that has been harder than a weight. Yeah, I mean, like we spoke just briefly off air, like before we started about. Um... You obviously had British fighter Paddy, Paddy Bim, Pimlet was going to do, you know, he was going to fight this past weekend, just gone. And um, his opponent took the fight on short notice. But then, you know, he was, I think I can't remember the exact numbers, but he would, when he took the fight and signed the contract, he was quite a way over the weight. But he, you know, he signed the contract and he said, you know, I'll make the weight. And then he came in and they did the weigh-ins and he was miles overweight. Um, and I think... Like Paddy had a problem with it, not because he missed weight, but because he weighed in and then sat down and was like eating and drinking rather than perhaps trying to lose a bit more. And then maybe, you know, they could have sorted something out to meet. But like people were saying, I saw a lot of people from within the MMA world as well saying to Paddy, like, oh, if you want to fight him that much, like f- just fight him, fight him at the weight he's at. And it's like, well, by the time he had rehydrated and gone into the fight the next day, he'd have had like over a stone on him, and like that's a massive advantage in um, you know in weight and strength. Like my point of view on the um, the Paddy Pimler fight, okay. Number one is I will not take a short notice fight if I am over a certain weight. Mm. Now I think what's his name, Genetti or something. Genetti? Yeah, yeah, I think it was Genetti. I, I think he was like. I heard he was something like 30 pounds over when he was yeah. trying to fight. Like that's that's a no-no. i got to be 20 pounds or under. If it's over that, because I, I know from 20 pounds, I can cut that quite quickly. Mm. 30 pounds, you, you're taking a mickey there. You're taking a, a, a you know. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we, we, we're on about horrendous weight cuts. Like there's no beer that has gone through more horrendous weight cuts than Paddy Dimler. Yeah, like a guy who has pushed his boy to the brink, and I've seen photos of Paddy, and I've seen Paddy make weight, and he looks awful sometimes, you know. Like I've seen fights when he was making featherweight, and I thought he was dead, you know. That probably frustrates Paddy because he does push it until he can't do no more. Yeah, and I bet it's very hard to see someone make weight and then sit down and start scoffing food and drink. You know? Yeah, when when he's been in that same situation and he's put his balls on the table and said, you know what, I'm just gonna cut the last two pounds if I'm over, you know, and um, I feel sorry for Paddy, and like, not only that, and on top of that, coming back from a bit of a layoff, he's got a load of injuries, that's realistically the last thing he wants, and um, I felt sorry for Paddy, he did a problem there, so a lot of people heard in the boost of him, and it's up to them what they want to say, but um, I'm a big Paddy Pimblet fan, and if that, if I lose a few fans for saying it, then so be it. Yeah, me too, mate. And uh, just I'll just have a little plug. You guys can check out the uh, the show I did with Paddy uh, a few episodes back, uh, which was a good one because he had plenty to say. Um, so what weight what weight do you walk around at like day to day, mate, when you're not in camp? So right, okay. So 
I fight at 135 pounds. Like, um, you know, when I went to um, Vegas in April, I was 170. So that's like, what's that? I think, no. 170 pounds is... 35 pounds, you know? Yeah, 35, well, it's the, yeah, 35, isn't it? Yeah, but like... So I was like 35 pounds over when I was, uh, when I was out in um, April time. That was the point in my career where I didn't think there was nothing wrong, but it, realistically there was. You can see by my weight there was. Um, that was number one. Right now I'm probably walking on the road maybe just under 160, you know. So that's still a 25 pound cut really. But like you know, I've got I've got eight weeks this Saturday to kind of cut that out. I usually, you know, I go into fight week my the Tuesday before the weigh-in, so I weigh in on Friday morning, Tuesday uh, afternoon. I'm 15 pounds over. So I've been like that for I've been like that for the last five week cuts and I've smashed it, you know. So I've got my own way of doing it, you know. Realistically, I want to see that number drop to about. If I can get this number down to about 155, one just under 155, like say, ideally like 151, 150, like I'll be chuffed with that, you know. So it's only like, yeah. like eight, eight pounds away from what I am now, you know. I got a grappling comp tomorrow I've got to be sent for two pieces and you know, I've just had some food just had some roast chicken breast before bed with uh, with a bit of a, a bit of salami and I was that's it that's all I've had now and I wake up tomorrow I'm on weight now even after eating that so 72 kilos at the minute but you know, we got to fight we fight 61.8 so I'm about 10 kilos off right now so this might be a stupid question but um, I'm gonna ask it just because I'm interested really is um so you walk say you were walking around around 160 170 pounds generally why do you cut to 135 not just you why do other fighters like yeah. why do you because like obviously 170 is welterweight and a um and then you've got like i think there's one five there's 155 division as well in there yeah. so why yeah. why do you choose the one the bantamweight over maybe something a bit bigger so when I went to Vegas, um, if they found out that I have 127 pounds of 128 pounds of muscle on me, yeah. If I lost all the fat in my body, I could make 127, 128 pounds. So my frame is a 135 pound frame. Yeah. Having said that, that's not the reason why I do it. You know, the reason why I do it is because, especially with my fighting style, the size advantage is a big thing. You know, and. Um, I remember fighting Pedro Munoz and Aljamain Sterling, and people were like, man, that Aljamain Sterling looks big. Mm. Like, yeah, he looked way bigger than you, and I've gone, uh, he wasn't. And like, what? No, he was. I was like, no, because I've walked at 158, and he's walked at 154, so he can't be. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a very dense bantamweight. In fact, I'm, you know, to the point that my last fight, I had a letter from the California Athletic Commission saying, you need to go up weight, and you're not allowed to fight a bantamweight in this state again. So. Yeah, right. So I went, from, I went from 135 to 158. Yeah, that's that's loads, though. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why did it, it is just that it's like for for you know for fighters generally they won that it's the size advantage. Yeah, not that it matters because it doesn't matter. You know, for me personally, bantamweight is the weight where I could make featherweight really easy and be fresh and stuff. Or I'd be lying if I said I think I'd have a career at that weight, you know. Yeah. All my all my moves are done with, with sensible, correct sort of movements, you know, and the right choices. And uh, bantamweight will always be my category. 
until I get to the end of my career and I want to start taking fights on money, then that would be a featherweight fight. But I mean, Bantamweight's fine for me. And obviously, you know, anything can happen. You know, this next camp, things can go wrong in the weight cut. But for the minute, I feel happy about weight. And yes, it's a horrendous cut. It really is, you know. I'm losing 12 pounds in 24 hours, you know. It's a horrible cut. But I get it done. Yeah, that's it. Get it done. So, um, Kaz also asked, um, who's the, the best British MMA fighter of all time, in your opinion, and why? Right, okay. Um, there's a list of names I can name to you, you know. Obviously, going through just, like, just, like, accomplishments and being a champion and uh, the career he's had, Michael Bisbin, you know. Uh, Michael Bisbin, in my opinion, is one of the greatest. Comes across as a dick, but um, I think he's, a, he's definitely the best British fighter we had. And this is the thing: a lot of people don't realize this. I got a best mate who I'm um, I'm best man for his wedding called Kyle Davis, right? And um, he's he's basically the older brother role, you know. My dad was an instructor, instructor for years, and Kyle came to him because he was a naughty boy in Boston, and my old man ended up teaching him loads of judo, and he did really well. But he ventured into a bit of MMA, and turns out he fought on fought co-main events on a Cage Warriors card when Michael Bisbin was main event, and it was um it was crazy. And another little interesting story. Now I've never actually spoken to Bisbin about this. So this one time, I live in a place called Pontyville Ice, right? Small little Welsh town uh, in Swansea, and this was when I was going through my. I probably maybe just had an amateur fight or I was just having my first amateur fight and I used to collect a lot of like fighters only magazines. This one day I was with my friends and I was driving my little Peugeot 106. I was driving on the bond and I said, oh look, we'll go and see the posh houses of the forest. So I drove up the forest and as I drove, I drove on the corner, I've seen this white Mercedes come out of here and I thought, I, I'm sure that was Michael Bisbin in Pontevedra, right? Mad, it's just a mad coincidence, really. For years, I've always wondered if it really was him that was there. Yeah. You know? and I remember it was mad because I had a Fighters Only magazine in the back of the car with Bisbee on the front cover. <laughs> I was like, nah, I can't be him. And he's either training in America or he lives in Manchester. I don't have a clue. And it turns out he's got a brother who apparently used to live in the bomb, and it was him. But I would love to have a chat with him. That's mad, that, isn't it? Yeah, crazy. Just like of all the places to see him yeah, in the bomb shit so uh, so you had you said you had a Peugeot 106 was it I used to have back yeah. in the day so what, what, are you, what are you driving now then my, 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 my girlfriend's Audi A1 so nice at the minute funds are a bit tight I just bought my first house with my girlfriend which I'm, I'm in right now the thought of having a house was I thought that was years years in front of me really not, not right now and we, we've got our first home and I, I to be honest I, I absolutely love the fact that I got my own house I got like sorry, I, everybody knows about me and my fashion I love my clobber I love all my football clothes and my Adidas trainers I've got a little set up in the bedroom I don't have to worry about one of my brothers coming in and robbing my jacket for starters <laughs> you know it's all there um, but yeah I love having the house and stuff but the car the car thing was like I've I've crashed almost every car I've had you know I've um I've I've been a, I'm a bit of uh, a fun, I used to be a bit of a fanatic with with cars. Yeah. To the point where I I love rallying. One of my favourite motorsports is the WRC, the World Rally Championship. Uh, I've even I've even raced before. 
as who are people don't not a lot not, not a lot of people know about this. But my, my last car I had before it got crashed, and that time it wasn't my fault. I crashed into a seventeen plate Ford Ranger, and uh, there wasn't there was a little scuff in the Ranger, and it just ruined the front end of my uh, my nineteen ninety six Subaru Impreza. Nice. And uh, I did I ended up doing three races, nothing major. It was just for me to fun. I did one with my one of my ex training partners, Ben Miles, who was a co driver. The second one was my missus, she was my co driver. And the third one was my, my best mate, Kyle, who was also a co-driver. And not that we, we won anything. I think I came fourth one time, which was a good good result for me racing. But um, I ended up driving. It was like a, it was like two weeks for the Pedro fight. And I went around the roundabout and tenth again. Some Ford Ranger took T-bone me, literally just crashing the side of me. And I thought, do I pull out now because I can get a good claim here? And I thought, I needed a, I needed a ruck, to be honest. So, Shit. So I went out there. And to be honest, I wasn't... Um, I wasn't really injured. Like, you know, I bear in mind, it, the car had a roll cage, bucket seats, harnesses, it had everything in it. So, I yeah. Really, didn't really feel the bump, to be honest. It's imagine it. You were rallying, like, a few few weeks before your fight. Like, I know. This so, is crazy. I don't think I'll be in a white with the app if I told the last story. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, JD asks, uh, is there someone from a different weight that you would like to fight? Oh, a different weight. I haven't, th- I haven't thought about that one. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think who would I like to fight. Conor McGregor, the, the Battle of the Celts. Yeah, I'd like to fight him only because of the paycheck as well. So Shit. If, I, if I beat him up for five fives or if he pans out in 30 seconds, at least I get a good paycheck. Oh, you know, yeah. Someone I would actually like to fight, like, like to have fought if it was like category as a side is I'm a big fan of Forrest Griffin, a guy, yeah, who, a, a guy who literally I'm a massive fan of him. I'd have like to have fought Forrest, like me and him would have had hell, hell of a dust up. Yeah, that would have been good. Shit. Yeah. So um, he also asks, um, have you ever fought anyone that you genuinely like hate or dislike? Um. And oh, he also says, is there anyone in the US UFC who you genuinely? Don't like as well. I'm quite, I'm quite laid back, you know. I'm not, mm. as, um, not as strict when it comes to like disliking fighters or whatever. Like to be honest, uh, I'm trying to think. No, you know, fight wise, I remember fighting this guy called um, James Brum. That I felt like there was a bit of uh, bad blood there, and like the lead up to the fight, it was a bit awkward. And even after the fight, it was a little bit awkward. But then I saw. I saw James back in July, and it was nice to have a chat with him. So, bit like that, we buried the hatchet there. Um, I don't think of fighters I dislike. There's nobody, there's nobody really that I fought, you know. Like, I, like for example, like I'm, I'm close with Pedro, Alzheimer I'm not so close with. It doesn't mean I dislike him. It just means he just beat me, and we're just not talking. I guess, you know. Um, I'm trying to think. What a guy I dislike. I've had like back and forth with Marlon Vera on the internet, but like all fairness to Marlon Vera, I met him in August uh, after the Pedro fight, and he watched me get my ass handed to me, and then he won his fight. But I think he kind of realised all oh, this guy can scrap. And all fairness to him, yeah, it was one of the things. Like, back in like 2017, I was having back and forth with him, but like, yeah, I think it's all done now. There's nobody I really st- I stand out and dislike really. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think some fighters might dislike me, but yeah, I don't dislike anybody. Either. Yeah, that's fair enough. No, I um. So 
on that note, I suppose, in a way, um, what about, what do you think of what, um, like, the whole Connor and Khabib thing, specifically what Khabib did to um, Loboff when they surrounded him in the hotel? Do you think that was buying out of order? Uh... Or do you think they kind of brought it on themselves because they were, you know, they were mouthing off and they were, you know, they gave as good as they were giving? Honest, like I know Artem, I, I speak to Artem a lot, and I really get on with Artem. He's a good guy. Legend. Um, I do, yeah, he's a legend, man. I do think, though, honestly, that it was, um, yeah, I don't think Habib should have should have gone up to. It. I think he slapped him as well. I don't. Yeah. Think that, that shouldn't have happened. Like you know, um, you know, at the end of the day, Habib should know better as 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 you know, unless it was like a little ploy to try and wind corner up. I don't know, but I think yeah. so. It definitely worked though. So, but Jesus I Christ, that yeah, he was on—he was on a plane, wasn't he, the next day? Yeah, but like, yeah, he shouldn't have really done that. Because the thing is, I think Habib kicked off because of Artem said that McGregor would beat him in a fight. Yeah, but but you know what I mean? He's meant to say that, isn't he? You know? Yeah, and plus, like, you know, MMA fighters, with you know, with all due respect to you, it's like your job is to. Is to try and promote fights and promote like fights. for you, for you, you gotta promote yourself, but also you want to get the biggest fight possible for you, don't you? At the yeah, end of the day, like you just yeah. said, if you could fight Conor McGregor, you would because that's the that's the biggest payday yeah, of anyone, yeah. isn't it? No, I would definitely do it. But yeah, I didn't like that they kind of surrounded him and they they like Khabib slapped him and that. But I mean, yeah. you know, it is like what it is. Was, if that was me and I was with like. You know, my brother or a few of the boys, like a few of the footy boys, like that would not happen. No. And I don't, I don't care if he's 24 or no. Like, I don't I don't give a shit. That wouldn't happen. And if my brother was in the same situation, that wouldn't happen. Like, you know, like, for example, you don't see the Diaz. You don't see him doing that because Diaz is there. No. You know, then Diaz. No, because they wouldn't, st- they wouldn't stand by and. Uh, yeah. They get their own boys that. there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So. Peaches wants to know, uh, or she says, I, I wanted to ask Brett to tell the story of how uh, he kind of ended up in the UFC, how they contacted him, what it was like when they first told him, you know, that he was signed and how he broke the news to his family and stuff. Like, what was, you know, what was the experience like with that? Yeah, actually, that's something I can talk about all, all night, really, but I'll kind of break it down a bit. Um, my my UFC debut, I was going to fight Ross Pearson on three weeks' notice. That was what I was going to do. So, like, my manager contacted my coach and said, look, there's, there's an opportunity here. Does Brett want to fight a lightweight against Ross Pearson? I looked at Chris and said, yeah, whatever. If it means being in the UFC, I'll, I'll basically accept this human sacrifice and fight Ross <laughs> Pearson on, on three weeks' notice. And then... I said, yes, I lied to the UFC. I said, they were like, how much you weigh? And I'm like, oh, I'm probably about 160, 165. And in fact, I was 10 pounds lighter. I was, like one, I was 150. I lied so I can just get on the show and fight that guy. Yeah. And it turned out then that um, Stevie Ray, a Scottish fighter, took my place. And I was like, oh, half broken because I thought that was my opportunity to get there. And it was a race. It was a little bit subconscious, a bit of a race, but Jack Marshman was already signed to the UFC and he was fighting on that show. And then they ended up saying to me, they went, um, they said, like, you really want to fight? And we were like, yeah, we want to fight. And, and then the next minute then, it was like my brother's birthday, right? Then. My brother just turned 18 at the time. And um, 
he was going to his first night out in Swansea, which was a Wednesday night, and I was uh, I was a bit concerned. You know, he, my youngest brother, he's really funny, and but he can be a bit stupid. I know he can get hurt if he if he says something wrong to the wrong person. So I had my phone on me all night, and then like like two a.m. a call comes, and um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an American number. I and the first thing I thought, I thought my brother had been arrested or something. I don't know. My manager goes, um, hey Brett, uh, um, right, we've got a fight. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? You mean in, in three weeks' time, you have your UFC debut if the Koreans accept the fight. And I was like, right, okay. So, like, to be honest, like, to anybody else, it's really exciting. But to me, it was the fourth time it happened. So it was like, I wasn't too excited. He's like, look, I'll phone you tomorrow around about 6 p.m. your time. With, with news if they do accept but right okay whatever I'm happy with that then I was doing Nogi and like it was like it was like 6 o'clock and there was no call I was like alright whatever it is what it is but I just carried on training it didn't bother me and then all of a sudden my coach Chris says Brett Brett come on side come, on, uh, come, come to the office I'm like yeah okay so I come to the office and he's on a he's on a Skype call with my manager and like behind the I'm looking at the Skype phone, and behind my manager is a guy with a camera. Uh, like, hey, Brian, what's up? And he's like, and, and he's like, uh, oh, what's happening, Brett? Uh, we're here for, um, basically, for Prosperity MA or something, he said. And he went, um, welcome to the UFC. And uh, I broke down in absolute tears at the time, you know. It was, uh, it was a long time coming. You know, I've gone through a lot of sacrifice to get to that point, And I think it all just spilled out to me in that, in that moment. Um, yeah, it was tough, man. It was really tough to kind of keep it together, but I bought my eyes out. And at, at the same time, my dad was just coming back from like a, uh, my stepdad was just coming back from a bit of um, surgery on his stomach. He had like a stoma bag put in. Yeah. Um, he had diverticulitis, and uh, my dad's got, my, my, da- my, my stepdad's got one leg as well. He had septicemia in his left leg. Had to get his left leg amputated, then had, and then had diverticulitis, and I'd have a stoma bag. And I think he was going through a bit of a rut, if I'm honest, where he was struggling with yeah. with the terms and stuff like that. And I remember, I remember calling him up and saying, "Dad, I've I've made it. Like I've got to where I've got." And uh, I definitely think it changed his whole mindset. And I think it just put him in the happiest mood. And, uh, drove all the way out to Belfast, Northern Ireland, to to watch my debut and. Uh, I just remember that night after the fight being with my family and thinking like, yes, it's, a, it's an individual sport, but without my family, without my sort of like family and friends, that I wouldn't have been able to do this. And um, it was nice to celebrate with everybody at the time. And uh, it was it was a surreal feeling, but my UFC debut is something that I'll remember to the day I die, really. Yeah, that's awesome. And because you're right, even though it is an individual sport, it's like you're... Um... You know, your missus will have been through everything with you, watching you do weight cuts and, you know, going you going off to training every day, a few times a day sometimes. So, like, you're away, you know, you're spending time away from your family. Uh, and it's a lot of sacrifice away from, you know, you even with, away from your fight camps and your promotions and your training and, you know, all the stuff that you've got to do leading into a fight. It's that sacrifice that you make day in, day out, outside of that. So uh, yeah, it must have been an awesome, awesome moment. Um, what else we got? We got so many. I'm trying to like keep them all together because got a few football questions as well. Right oh, here yeah. we go. But we'll uh, I'll 
keep with the MMA ones for a minute. Yeah, no worries. So uh, John, Johnny, uh, Johnny Wish, who is uh, he's, a, he's a big follower of Ace Podcast Nation. He loves the questions. He uh, he sent in a few. So he says, first question. He says, what's more satisfying, uh, knocking someone out or a submission? I've got more subs in my record than knockouts. Believe it or not, my professional knockout, I've a professional record of like knockouts. And I've got like something steady, like eight, maybe nine submissions. I can't, I can't no, it's not that much. I'm not that good. Um, probably about maybe seven, eight submissions, maybe. Um, it's funny you said that because I've, I've been a grappler my whole life. I'm not I'm been really known for knocking people out, but. I remember fighting a, uh, a Scottish fighter called James McAllister, who probably gave me the, the most scariest mean mug before fight I've ever had. Scared the absolute life of me, shit my pants, to be honest. And um, I stopped him with punches, and yeah, it was it was, it was was weird, because obviously I'm not for choking people and feeling the tap out, not having the referee rip me off someone. So, yeah, yeah, I'd say knockouts, probably. Like, even though I've only had two in my career, just the Thing of the referee pulling you off is is a bit is a big thing, and uh, I would definitely say knockouts. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I guess it's like two ways looking at it. Like if you submit someone, they're giving up, but then equally, if you the referee stops it like that, it's like you're doing too much damage almost. So they've yeah. got to intervene. So I could, you know, there's two ways to look at it. I suppose. Um, Johnny also asks. Uh, Who's the biggest prick you've ever met in the fight game? I wasn't a big fan of Brian Ortega, to be honest. No? No, I wasn't. No, he, um, only because, obviously, like, outside of fight, he's been a bit of trouble with, like, street fights with certain fans and stuff. Not last time. I remember back in May 2017, I went to, like, a Vegas retreat. And like I said, I'm very fashionable. And I wore a pair of like Danny Dyer skimpy short shorts and a surgeon's sheen tracksuit top. Mm-hmm. And he just looked at me stupid and I was like, Man, what the fuck are you wearing? He said. And I went, Hey, this is fashion. Yeah. He's, like, he's like, No, it's not. I've never met this guy before. So for him to say it, I, I, I just thought, Whoa, who's this guy? And what was scary was they didn't even know who he was at the start. They didn't know who he was. Yeah, I knew he was just, just some random guy like saying yeah, something. I was like, and I was like, man, I can't take no fucking fashion away from someone who's got rips in his jeans. And like, he literally had rips, like ripped jeans on. And I think when I said that, he did like some. I think there was a couple of guys who started laughing. I didn't think he liked that. But, yeah. Um, even to the point where he was doing videos of me and putting them on his, his social media. But <laughs> I thought he was a bit of a dick, to be honest. Yeah, he sounds like it. But then he obviously wasn't familiar with the casual scenes, he was he. So oh, was he hell, man? I was gonna say like, you know, you can't be talking about. My balls, like when he's there sitting there in a pair of ripped jeans, like I mean, look terrible. You know, to him they might have been fashionable, but the, the, like all due respect to the Americans, don't get that casual scene over there, do they? So uh, no, uh, the only guy that's got is that Miami casual guy, wherever the hell he is. But you know, not even he understands it properly. Shit, I wouldn't have anyone say anything about Sergio Chasini tracksuit tracksuit tops anyway. Oh, I love, I fucking love awesome. That. <laughs> um. If you could fight one fighter, past or present, who would it be? Any weight class, just past or present. Do you know what? Someone, I, someone I'd, I'd like to fight, and I, and I, I'm, my plan was when, when I, when I beat, when I beat uh, Algerman, I was going to call for it, uh, and obviously I lost to Algerman, and ironically he called for the same fight, mm. and that was uh, Dominic Cruz, you know, 
Tom Cruz is a guy who was, and it's got nothing to do with personal issues with the guy. I just, I want to fight the best in the world, and I want to be known for the guy who, like already, my favorite people say, do you know what, Brett Boy, that Brett Jones kid, you can fight anyone. And already, that's happening. But if I had to pick like two names, one would be Tom Cruz, and the other would be Fire Faber. You know, absolute legends in the sport. Yeah. I'd happily fight them guys because of their names and what they've done in the game. And um, like to me personally, I think it's uh, it would it would it would be an honour to fight them guys. Nothing personal into it. Like they can take it as personal as what they want. But for me, it's like you know, I just look. I I I just get excited for fights like that. So then I can look forward to fighting these guys, and it's right in front of me, and being in there with the same guys. You know, like I've gone over that. that I've gone over that sort of starstruck feeling when. But like, like I looked across the cage and saw Adam and Sterling, I was like, oh my god. I looked across the cage and saw Joe Soto, I was like, oh god. I looked across the cage and saw Pedro Munoz, I was like, oh god. Like, and now like that starstruck feeling just gets watered down. So now I'm like, no matter who's in there, really, if it's a famous guy, if it's not, I just want to go in and do my job. Yeah. Game for a ruck. Yeah. So uh, Johnny also says, um, he says, fame. MMA stroke all the reality TV stars fighting in uh, MMA and this and that. Uh, discuss. What's, uh, what, do you know much about that? Uh, what fame. they're doing? I think that's what it's called, isn't it? Fame. Yeah, fame. Um, it's basically a glorified white collar show, really, if you think about it. You know, these are guys who have trained for a few weeks and uh, are reality TV stars or whatever, and they, they want to get in there and give it a bash and I can't knock them. You know, it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like KSI and Logan Paul, really. Can't knock them for giving it a go. But um, what I just don't want them doing is, is letting it get to their head and they somehow think they're going to be UFC champions next because that ain't going to happen. When it comes to Aaron from Geordie Shaw, now he gets a little bit more respect, in my opinion, because he's a guy that actually does legitimately train, legitimately fights. Yeah, okay, he's been given some good fights for his career, but having said that, at least, at least he, at least he turns up and he fights and he trains. So I'd give him the benefit of the doubt. But this, this fame UK show, man, you won't, you, they'd have to pay me to go and watch that. Unfortunately, I won't go as a freebie. Like, yeah, it's, um, it's not for me. I gotta be honest. Like, I was just had a quick look at the card. Like, the main event is um, Scotty T versus TV Bear. Like, I only know who Scotty T is because my missus used to watch Geordie Shaw. Um, and then one of the other fights is a podcaster versus someone from So Solid Crew. Uh-huh. It's like I got no interest in that at all. Like, but I just I think, think I think the guy from So Solid Crew would win because he is from So Solid Crew. Well, I say he's solid, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but like for me, it's like you're right. You know, if they want to do it and people are watching, great. I suppose I, it's not for me. Um, but like, yeah. I've seen like a couple like of the Geordie Shaw guys like calling out some cage warriors fighters and stuff, and it's like they get fucking destroyed. Yeah, I, and I literally would like to see it happen though, just so that the reality check. Well, of that are, in the middle of a first round. Yeah, plus that Aaron Chalmers. I'm sure he called out Paddy uh, Paddy Pimblet before. Yeah, Paddy. I think Paddy would have fought him, and like that's a fight that he hasn't won. I, I tell no. You, it's got nothing to gain from it, have you? Oh, oh. Would, uh, Paddy would have a field day there. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I don't know. 
like from Paddy's point of view though, he's got nothing to gain from that fight because all he does is he's given uh, Aaron Chalmers like the he's given him a big fight. Yeah. He's given him a foot into the door, maybe into Cage Warriors or whatever. And like you know, it's a fight at the end of the day. Anyone can get clipped by anyone. Of course. And you know that could just be a career destroyer, couldn't it? For a, for a, for a top yeah. level fighter to lose to a reality TV star. Yeah. Um, okay, so what else we got? Uh, what's your view of these fighters? Uh, Tom Mearns of Bellator, Paddy Pimblett, and Tank Shaw. So to- Tom Mearns? I-, I don't think I've heard of him. Yeah, he's um, he fights in Bellator. He's uh, he's got a he's the one who last year he broke he dislocated his um, what was it dislocated his ankle I think or his elbow or something on a the Bellator UK show. Like it was really bad. Like, what's his name again? Tom Moons. Um, I have to check him out then. Definitely. Well, the guy, the guy, um, Danny, who I do the MMA show with, where we review the UFC shows, he, um, he used to fight for Cage Warriors himself, and um, right. he, he's uh, he was featherweight champion for like seven years or something back in the day. Okay. Um, and I think he, um, he's part of his team, Tom Moons. And um, oh, I've had, okay. they got high. They, I think they got some uh, some high hopes for him. Like, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely have a little watch of him later. Then, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, be honest. My 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 Bellator knowledge isn't the best either. You know. I do yeah. Like the, I do like the promotion. I do. But um, it's uh, it's, I don't know the ins and outs of the company. But yeah. But, like, but like Paddy Pimblett and, and Tank, so I you know them guys they get on with really well, especially Tank. Tank has very very similar interests that. Are, what I do as well, like he loves music, he loves Oasis and stuff, the same as me, Alex J, Cinema and stuff, uh, Adidas trainers and Soul Island Jack, it's really, you know, and he's, he's into all that, and uh, we look very similar, we fight very similar, so people think we're twins really, but um, yeah, he's good, he's a good guy, Jack is, in all fairness, he does, him and his old man look out for me, and uh, I really do appreciate it. He had an impressive debut, didn't he? He did, yeah, he beat a good guy, Nolene Hernandez, who's... Like I said, you know, he, 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 he was a dangerous opponent for Tank in his first fight. In all fairness, Tank took him out of it. And uh, it was good. It was good to finally watch him there. And I was telling him months before the fight that he was going to that level. So for him to go in there and literally prove everybody wrong and go in there and smash it up. And I think he looked fantastic and got a nice little hefty paycheck. Would you like, yeah. to, hear, would you like to hear some trivia for you? Go on, I always good for trivia. Four UFC fighters... Uh, in their first ever wins for the UFC, three of them have, have won bonuses on the UFC. Basically, their first ever wins of the company, out of the four Welsh guys, three of them won bonuses for their first wins. Can you name the three fighters? Three Welsh fighters? Yeah. So, Jack Marshman. Yeah. Uh, Jack Shaw. Yeah. And you? No. No. So basically, Ooh. the last one, John Phillips, right? Oh, of course, yeah. So, so basically... Ah, oh, two out of three. Yeah, Jack, Jack Shaw won his first ever UFC debut and won a bonus. Um, Jack Marsh won on his debut, won a bonus. And John Phillips obviously went on a bit of a three-fight kid. But then on yeah. his first ever win, won a bonus. And the only guy, the four of us who won, won a bonus on their first ever win was me. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but then again, no, having said that, we're, we're all 
for performance of the night table, we've all got one bonus each, I guess. So it's not too bad. Ah, so uh, what else we got? You alright for time, mate? Yeah. Yeah, fine. Eh? Yeah. I got because I know I said about hour fifteen, but we're up to that just about now in a minute. Yeah, but um, if you need to shoot, yeah, let's get them going. Is it? Um, yeah. Right, what else we got? Uh, what would you be if you weren't an MMA fighter? Ground worker for Cadiz. There you go. Because literally that was what I was doing before I was before I started like full time MMA, and I I hated my job. My my dream job would be like a professional like race car driver. Yeah, that would be like my my dream job, like a rally driver for get paid truckloads of money for doing it. But yeah, that would be quite cool. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, just to get paid loads of money to race cars. I I like the sound of that as well. Yeah. Just drive fast everywhere. So um, if you if you had to pick one British fighter who was a future world champion in the UFC, who would it be? Joanne Calderwood. Scottish fighter, Jojo Badmofo. Um, I I went out to Vegas and she's um she's engaged now to um John Wood, who's the co- head coach in Syndicate, and uh, I love I love that gym. Everybody in that gym is so friendly and so kind. And uh, whenever I'm in Vegas next, that's like my gonna be my home. All uh, fairness, Jojo was the one who invited us over, and I thought that she won her last fight easy, but the one before that she fought that Caitlin. Ch- Again, mm. and she's fighting for the title next against um, Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah, Shevchenko. But I generally thought that Joanne Calderwood won that fight. I generally thought she did. I think she did enough to win the fight, but turns out the, the judges didn't think so. But I think JoJo is ve- is closer than what we all think, and. Um, It'd be amazing to see her be the first Scottish UFC champion. I'd I'd, I'd love that for her because she's such a person, and her and John really looked after me when I was out there. So I only wish good things for them both in the future. Really, shout, good answer. Um, let's have a look what else we got. So uh, Johnny asks again: uh, Have you ever been arrested? Random questions. Comment. No comment. <laughs> I think that's probably probably a good answer, mate. No, um, no I'll, I'll say, I'll say. Yeah, I died one time where I did get arrested and um, for basically getting falsely pointed out for assaulting someone. And uh, turns out they got they got completely got it mixed up. But as you can probably tell, being in um being in a close environment with other people and you've got cauliflower ears in a fight that happens, you automatically assume it's going to be you. Yeah. And uh, turns out that you know the guy was completely wrong, and um, I had to go. I had to go to court as well. And thankfully, they 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 all saw that you know it wasn't me. And obviously on CCTV that I was uh, that I wasn't involved in any of that. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously got falsely arrested, but nothing major to talk about there really, other than the fact being the wrong place at the wrong time. And um, it was an experience, though, you know. I bet. Experience, but yeah, that was that was the one time it happened. And uh, oh, you know what? You know what it was, didn't you? It was Jack Shaw. It was Jack Shaw. See, he looks like you. <laughs> yeah, He's <yeah>. him. <laughs> it was definitely. I think I saw him in the crowd. Actually, thinking about it. <laughs> but like I said, it was one of them things. And um, yeah, I, like I said, you know, my 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 mother drove all the way up to Thai Police Station, up in North Wales, to uh, to pick me up. And uh, yeah, but it's all. It's all good. It happened. Obviously, it was 
in the end, it was all good news, and thankfully, oh, everybody felt the same. And uh, yeah, it's all good. Obviously, you know, I'm not. I don't regret it, any of it. You know, I wasn't. I, I haven't complained for. Any, I haven't complained for anything. In my opinion, it was uh, perfect. You know, at the end of the day, it was one of the experiences that I don't want to happen again. But at least I get to say I've done it, and uh, it's, it's like just like any fight, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the weirdest thing you've ever witnessed uh, a celebrity or a fighter doing, like at an after party or just you know, general uh, backstage or you know that type of thing? Celebrities yeah. being celebrities, I guess. I got, I kind of, I think I got about maybe three, three stories which are like quite class. Uh, Excellent. The first time was my first ever time in Vegas. Being in a VIP bar in on one of the super clubs in Las Vegas, on for um, hitting Artem Robov with a pillow while he was paralytic drunk, that was one of them. Um, <laughs> the second time was when I was walking through a street in New York. Um, I think it was like one of the ones with the top designer stores on. I walked the street, and me and my brother got this game, and uh, I wasn't in a particularly good mood because it was like four or five days after the Aldrin Sterling fight. Walking through um, New York and. My, me and my brother got this game where my brother would say, oh, look, David Beckham's over there. And I look over. And it's funny because the guy looks like David Beckham. So he, he comes over and we start walking in the street. And he goes, oh, look there, Adam Sandler. And I looked over. And Adam Sandler was standing right in front of me. <laughs> and I looked at him and I think he saw the shock in my face. So he came up and fist bumped me and my brother. A moment that I will awesome. never, ever forget. Getting That's fist, really cool, though, isn't getting it? Getting fist bumped by uh, Adam Sandler is definitely up there with one of the. <laughs> I like that. But um, yeah, that was another one, and uh, also like um, I'm I'm a massive fan of a football player called Ollie McBurney who plays for Sheffield United now. And uh, we were watching the McGregor Habib fight, and I saw him walking through um, White Street with his friends, looking for a place to like kind of watch the fight. And uh, I said, oh, look, we got a VIP booth and walk about. My mate Rob Nangalia really looked after us then. You know, he's now the um, uh, manager at um, Pop World and stuff now, but he's good as gold. Rob's a great guy. And he called us in and I said, oh, look, Rob, is it right for him if Bernie comes? And Rob was a big Swans fan. Of and he ended up saying, yeah, bring him in. So I, I got absolutely paralytic drunk. And uh, the next morning, um, Rob phones me up and said, I had one of the best nights as a manager last mm-hmm. night. He said the UFC fighter Brett Johns was passed on the floor and he had Ollie McBurney looking after him. So that was the other show. <laughs> uh, I'm really close with Ollie. And he's a fantastic. He scored the, the equaliser against Man United a few days ago when they, uh, when they drew. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He did, think. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely chuffed for him, man. He's such a, he's such a great guy. And, uh, you know, he, 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 and not only that, he's a jock as well. So I love the Scottish. Yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing to... Uh, Watch him play for the Swans. Obviously, he's not, he's in the Premiership with Sheffield now. But fingers crossed, I'd like to see him play Cardiff one time. Anyway, nah, I don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is the last MMA question, okay. uh, and it's quite an interesting one actually. It's uh, what would your advice be for a teenager whose parents are reluctant to let him train in MMA or like martial arts generally? What do you mean, like my parents? No, no. What would what would you advise? Like, so, what would you advise a teenager who wants yeah. to train as like wants to start training in martial arts or whatever or MMA, but his pa- their parents are a bit not sure about whether to let them or. Basically, 
that's me that is who was asking that question but when i first started is it? my mother was wasn't a big fan of, of net and i think it took me years of constantly asking for me to be, for her to be like okay let's incorporate you know um you know your parents are only there to look out your best interest and at the end of the day if you're training really hard i guess they, they're gonna like that at least you're gonna self-defense or whatever but i would 100 you know get involved in training martial arts and if you want to go down that route then you need to have a proper sit down and explain to your parents rather than just say i want to fight you know you got to approach that conversation with a bit more ease telling your own mother and father that you want to get face punched in the cage if mm-hmm. yeah their point of view you understand their, their their concerns and stuff but you know, just in my opinion, with the time where they're saying no, they're not happy. Just keep training. We'll get to get you that little bit of extra bear, and eventually, in my opinion, they're gonna have to say yes somehow. So, you know, the more you ask, the more yeah they are to persuade. So, um, just keep just keep asking, and but more importantly, keep training really hard. You know, that's what I did for two years before. I asked my mother for two years straight before I could get in there. When I got in there, she came to watch my first fight, and then she realized. You know, okay, he knows what he's doing. He's doing really well. That was the end of that. Then, nice. All right. Uh, same same person asks, uh, "Have you got any regrets?" Regrets. Um, like even like, obviously, the Algerian fight would be one where like I wish I was mentally switched on. Regretted it though. No, I learned. I learned a lot. I I I know it's not so cliche. I hate saying this. They say like fighters. They say that when you learn, you learn a lot. You know, you either win or you either learn. But my opinion, it was just mental. I didn't learn anything. And the fact, the only thing I kind of thought was, don't have your head switched on. You're gonna lose. But yeah, I regret that. I don't. I don't. I regret the way the fight went. But I don't regret doing the fight, having the camp, doing the great cut, doing the actual fight. Put one of the best fights on the planet for God's sake, so you know, I'll keep my chin up there, but no regrets really. And most good stuff. Um, so I got a couple, there's a couple of questions on football, and then uh, and then we're, we're through them all pretty much. But um, just before that football one, uh, there was one where's it gone? Uh, they want you to recommend one film and one TV show to watch. Oh, and these are the questions I love, these are the questions, right? So so it depends on what, what what sort of genre they want to watch. Like for example, comedies was one of my favourite things. Um, the other guys, okay, Mark, Mark Wahlberg, Will Ferrell, two coppers in New York. Um, I can literally that film would for an hour and a half solid. Um, I got a, fr- a couple of friends who were like obviously um involved in like uh, biker gangs, like uh, mm. biker gangs, biker clubs. Sorry, the word not biker gangs, not gangs. And um, I love watching the. I I, I love my favourite series to watch is the Sons of Anarchy. I love that series. That was absolutely amazing. I haven't watched any of the new ones yet, but um, I love I love watching Sons of Anarchy. That was an absolutely fantastic series. So if you if I said you got to watch a Brett John sort of like sort of like diary, then series wise you want to be watching Sons of Anarchy and comedies. Um, the other guys. Talladega Knights, Step Brothers, anything with a feral in Anchorman. I love them films. 
Yeah, good shout to all of them. So, uh, are you going to the Euros when uh, when it starts? Yeah, I will be. Yeah, you know, um, obviously it does depend on fights and I'm yeah. Stay as much as I look like I'm having a lot of fights, I really am. Um, it just completely depends on fights. If I can get the right fights to start the Euros, then yeah, I'll crack on. I'll definitely go to. Definitely, you know, I've got two different destinations. I'll have to get the the price list for, but it's going to cost me a lot. So I'm hoping the next time I'm going to get a good decent anyway. Yeah, they're all over the place, aren't they? They're um, they're like in three different places or something. Saint Petersburg, so be interesting. That'll be fun. Yeah. So uh, how far Jack of Wales will go in the Euros? You know, honestly. I don't think it's going to be anything like uh, France 2016. Although, though, although, and I will say this, the last last sort of like two games they played, they played really well. And I definitely see them uh, doing okay. I'd be very happy if they if they got the group in, 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 the, in, the, in the group stage. I'd be happy to see that, you know. Whether or not we hit the semi-finals or even win it this time, it's, it's a bit of an ask for them. Yeah, I think it's asking a lot in there to do it again. Um, the one thing I will say, though, they got the, the young squad which Wales have got, and even some of the boys in the you know in the under twenty under twenty ones. They're so good. There's a lot of quality quality young players, but I just think you might be asking them a bit much to perform at the level that like Bale and Ramsey and Robson Carnu and that did. They got good mentors there, like you said. Then they got Bale, they got Ramsey. They got Hennessy and Cole. Like ben Davis is now slotted in that mental role. And then you got the up and comers. You got people like uh, Rodon. You got people like Connor Roberts, Dan James. There's a lot of young guys. Um, Tom Lawrence, uh, Harry Wilson. All these guys. And all fairness, it's, it's amazing to watch them boys play. I'm a massive fan of Welsh football, as we know. It's it's just hell of an experience, really, and um, and to be there when they play and listen to that national anthem go off, it's just uh, takes your breath away. It really does. It does. It is special, isn't it? Special, very special. So, uh, last question: Ryan Giggs, is he doing a good job or a bad job? Like I, I'll be honest, at first, you know, I'm, I I was a massive Chris Coleman fan, so for someone to take to step into his boots I just thought they were kind of pissing in the wind really when they said gigs I think everybody kind of was like oh gigs but gigs was known for not really doing much with his own international yeah. team really you know and that's I think that was on a lot of people's thoughts but he seems to have a good little control of the team he's got and um, you know yes they were there was there were bad times like I think when when Wales did that double away stunt in Croatia and Hungary there were two losses there and I think people were starting to chant gigs out and stuff but yeah it is what it is at the end of the day you know he's uh you know I'm not sure Coleman's doing I know he was with a Chinese uh Chinese team but you know thinking about it thinking about it I think gigs is, is the right man for the minute and I guess you know, when Chris Coleman first stepped in, he didn't exactly have a good start. So you just got to see what happens here. At the end of the day, you know, Giggs has actually got us back into the Euros. And, and 
We just need to wait and see what happens from here. Yeah, he's done. A, one thing he's done is he's done a cracking job with the young players. Yeah. He, and like what people got to remember is Wales have only qualified twice for the Euros. You know, ever. Ever. And yeah. so, so it is an achievement because he, you know, he. People questioned whether he did the right thing when he dropped, like, Ashley Williams. I know Ashley Williams is back in. He dropped Robson Carnu, these experienced players who had done it in the Euros. So, you know, he did what he wanted to do. He did it his way, and he did it. He's got, he's got his own little method of doing it. And like I said, he, he's got the job. He, he's got the, the job to do it. In all fairness, he has, he's in control. And um, in all fairness, I think he, he's okay. I think... I saw a couple of statuses a few few months back, or when he first signed up, gigs out, gigs out. But let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt and see what happens from there. Yeah, get behind him. Yeah. Right, I'm gonna we're getting we're getting late now, Brett. I can't uh, can't thank you enough, mate, for giving me like over an hour and a half of your time. I appreciate it massively. Uh, tell the people where they can find you on social media, and tell them the deets about your fight and stuff. So basically, um, I'm on all sorts of social media, Twitter at 36Johns, um, on Facebook and on Instagram at Brett Johns MMA. Uh, basically, the next fight is out in North Carolina on the 24th of January 2020, fighting Tony Gravelli, a uh, newcomer to the UFC, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, also, just a quick shout out to Forces um, of Wales in Cardiff, uh, the British Sangene, uh, Beck Clever, uh, Wise Property Investments with Luke. Uh, Tatami, Beckler, all them guys that are amazing, and uh, there's a few more sponsors that are coming to help me out on my way to um, North Carolina, and I will be doing a separate post for them guys next week. Now after the grappling, uh, the grappling fight tomorrow night in Pontella. So busy, busy few weeks. Absolutely, and uh, you can catch uh, catch me on Twitter, guys, at AceCast underscore Nation, uh, Facebook.com slash AceCast Nation. And obviously, all our shows are available in video at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. Uh, please give us a subscribe because that's the best way to support the channel and help us keep growing, getting awesome guests like Brett. And uh, obviously, the audio versions are available at all the usual podcasting platforms. And also, check out uh, uk for your awesome casual clobber. Brett. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you ever so much for joining me, mate. I can't thank you enough. Good luck with the fight. And if you want to come back on after your fight, mate, you're more than welcome. 100%, Anytime. 100%. So thanks for having me, mate. And, uh, Top man. Cheers, Brett. Podcast Network.